Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I'm really excited about our guest today because this is the meat that I am consuming. Eric Perner, Rep Provisions. I'm so happy to have you on the show to talk about your company and what you're doing for the earth, the environment, and also creating a great opportunity for us to get really healthy meats. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on. I think uh, I'll start off with saying, and I've said this before on Instagram, I mean, I'm a fan of bone broths. I've tried all of them, but your beef bone broth is my favorite. I even drink it cold right, right out of the thing. Um, it's amazing. The other thing, I, and I'm so impressed with the ground beef too. So that's another thing too, like, oh, all ground beef, grass-fed beef, it's all the same. It's not. It really tastes different. The fat on your grass-fed beef, there's something about it. It just, it's, it's like Tara and I keep talking about how it's the best ground beef we've ever had. Um, before we get into that, there's, one, there's a couple random things that you guys sell that I was blown away about. Uh, one is... Uh, I wonder if I I have a box right there. You have these beef sticks and pecan butter that are supposed to go together. And when someone, and when Tara first told me about it, I said, nope, that's culinary, just blasphemy. Like, I can't, I can't accept it. And then I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really good. So you're doing some really unique stuff too. And then the other thing that's really unique is these bone broth, um, kind of like little mini popsicles, you know, when we were a kid and they were the fluorescent, you know, awful food coloring things and you kind of suck it out of the thing. They're so great. And again, I thought this is culinary blasphemy. Why would anyone put bone broth? (laughs) And it's so delicious. You don't even taste it. And a great way to get this kind of nutrition in a tasty way where some people are turned off by these things. So I love what your company is doing and your products. But before we get through all of that, how did you get into this game? This is such a wanted, needed field. Talk to us about, you know, your journey and where you started. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, and we, we're, we're trying to be creative and innovative with everything we do. So just want to get that out there. But for me, I got started in this. Um, uh, as, as a child, I grew up on a small cattle ranch. And we, uh, we only had a few cows and we didn't sell any. We just kept it for our own consumption. And, and I was early on, my, my dad, I was fortunate enough to be have a father who really instilled in me the importance of proper land management. And so as a kid, I had to learn all these, you know, techniques and and how you properly manage animals and how they relate to the health of the land and, and our overall health and all these things. And this was going against, you know, a lot of the common knowledge of the day where we were told to get off red meat, that it's bad for you. It's bad for your heart that, you know, the fat is horrible for you. But for whatever reason, my dad was taking the exact opposite approach and really kind of instilled in me early on that, you know, that's not right. It's, you know, if you do it right, this is healthy for you. So I really early on had a, a good education on that. Um, and then I, as I, as I, you know, I, as I left home and, and I got on my own, um, I kind of watched a little bit of the destruction that animals can do on land. I kind of saw that around us to some degree. And it kind of got me a little de- down, it got me a little depressed about, you know, about that, that relationship. If you don't manage animals correctly, they can create a lot of devastation. Um, so I saw a lot of that and I kind of got in a period of my life where, you know, I just, I don't think I want to be a part of this. Um, 
I went to college. I got my engineering degree. I got an engineering field. I did that for a number of years. And then I kind of came back around my roots, if you will. We had, I still had a deep connection with the land, a deep connection with animals. And about this same time in 2013, around that era, I was introduced to a, an organization called the Savory Institute, which is out of Boulder, Colorado. And they're a 501c3 organization that's, their whole goal is the restoration of grasslands across the world using animals to do this. And so this really related to me. I really connected with their, their methodology and their ideology and what they're trying to accomplish. So I really started to get more uh, back to my roots and back to, um, you know, understanding that connection of land health and how animals can contribute to that. And so I live on a farm now that, that we've been on since uh, 2005. Um, and we've always kept our cattle herd about the same. I still stayed in the industry, but I started to kind of think about, man, what, what can I do with, with what I have now to help impact our health and our, and our plant's health. And as I discovered Savory had this big voice with the whole world, I thought, man, I want to be a part of that. And then I started dreaming about, well, what's the best way I can scale this and get it out to more and more folks. And so I started, you know, thinking about rep and, and what that, you know, through food, how I could connect with people. And that was really the impetus. But uh, where that just funny enough, how the beef sticks and the combutter came about is I was literally just sitting in my living room, dreaming up these ideas of what products I can create. And I looked out my window and we're here. Our farm is in Northeast Oklahoma. And one thing we have an abundant resource is native pecans and cattle. That's what we can do. We raise grass and we raise pecans. And I thought, well, this is what I have available. Let me see if I can create some with there. So that's what I went with initially. Um, we, we, you know, unveiled it to folks at Palo FX. It was a huge hit. And then it just kept snowballing from there. And then I started creating, thinking about what other products can we, can we, come about that create, you know, these unique, innovative ways to get proper nutrition in people. And that's where, you know, the broth is really a piece of using the whole animal. Um, the broth pops are just something that, you know, we know kids love and that's a way to get good nutrition to children. So it's all these things are really starting to come together. Um, and we're still early on, but we, we feel like we can make a huge impact. So that's kind of where, where I started. That's where rep is today. Uh, we're still considered a startup, in my opinion. So we're just trying to get our foot in the door and show people what we're about and what we stand for. And it's folks like you and Tara Garrison who are being a tremendous help to our company. Oh, man, I really, I mean, I, I, all these years, I have um, had many opportunities to promote a ton of different things. And I don't do it because I... Uh, I have to really love it. So there's very few things that I will get out there and be like, you guys got to do this. Cause I feel like if you're doing that all the time about everything and it's just for money or something, you know, and this was just such a passionate thing when Tara told me about it and what your company was doing, but really it was after, and I was skeptical. I was like, well, let me try the products first because you know, I'm not, <laughs> and I'm really sold. I want to talk about a few of those, but let's talk a little bit about the destruction because, you know, the interesting thing is, um, I interviewed a proselytizing famous vegan who finally had some health issues and finally did some research and was like, hold on a minute, and decided to go back to eating animals. But he still had this sort of like ethical platform and baseline from veganism that he wanted to continue. And 
he was so shocked because in the vegan community, they don't really learn or know about, they think that like all the cow farms are like the feedlots on the side of the five freeway. And, you know, they don't understand about regenerative farming, regenerative agriculture, uh, grass-fed, pastured, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about the difference because tell us about the destruction you mentioned that you saw. What does it look like on a farm or to the land when animals aren't handled properly? And what's the mishandling that leads to that? Yeah. Uh, so number one, it's like I, we need to take you back, um, you know, a few hundred years and what this, how this land evolved. And it really did uh, evolve with large animals, millions, tens of millions of them. And if we can just talk about one of those large ruminants, bison, which we're all familiar with, that roamed the prairies. Uh, and one thing that you got to understand on, on, on bison, um, they were always under the threat before humans kind of came around and, and screwed everything up. They were always under the threat of predators. Okay, so that could be wolves or, or bears or, or whatever it was. They were always under that threat of predators. And so when you're, when you're a, a large animal like that, uh, uh, who's, who's very much at the, at the mercy of these carnivorous, you know, predators, uh, you tend to congregate in really tight groups. And because of that, you're always moving, trying to, trying to get away from that predator, at least keep your herd safe, keep your baby safe, all those things. They're always moving. And that's known as a predator-prey relationship. And when we broke that cycle of predator-prey relationship, we lost that symbiotic relationship with the land and the animal. And what I mean by that is when plants are grazed, by these large ruminants, uh, they have a certain amount of their root structure that dies back. When that root structure dies back, that plant needs recovery. It needs time, it needs the proper amount of recovery. And so when all these large animals were always grazing and moving, it was creating this symbiotic relationship that the plant got grazed, it had ample time to recover its root structure and grow back even better and stronger. And then the next time they came around, they'd graze it again and you'd follow the same cycle. Through that cycle, it continually built health of the soil and it continued to build soil health and it continually built organic matter. Is it also, okay, I get that they're grazing on it and then the roots are coming back. Is it also, could be a dumb question, is it also like literally their feet, that their, their hoofs that are, is there a part of that that's kind of milling it or doing something or is it really just their grazing? No, no, that's, that's all part of it. Their, their hooves create these divots in the land and um, through the past uh, cycles of these native perennial plants that drop their seeds, those hooves help kind of pound those seeds in the soil. And then when it rains again, those seeds will come up. So it's constantly, uh, not only that, um, Ellis, the, it's the dung and the urine. So that's the fertilizer. And that creates, you know, a lot of um, soil microbiology that comes back and it can be uh, lots of insect activity. So all these things really contribute to that soil health. It's an ecosystem. It needs fed and it needs the proper management. And, you know, nature got it right the first time. It's just, we come around and broke all these cycles. And that kind of really is where we got, you know, the degradation from. And that's where we see today, you know, instead of simulating this predator prey relationship, we kind of let things roam freely, however they please. Uh, we fence everything in so it can't roam properly. And so it, it really kind of gets us away from that predator-prey relationship that these soils evolved on. 
And once you do that, you have to either mimic that or you'll lose that symbiotic relationship between the plant and the animal and the soil. Um, and that's really all it comes down to is we're just, it's a form of biomimicry where we're just trying to mimic those things that nature did on its own. And is that then the concept that, that defines the term regenerative agriculture? Yeah, so uh, regenerative is basically just, you know, building new soil when, in terms of agriculture. And, and I love the term regenerative. And I, and, I, and I don't see regenerative as just a thing for agriculture. These are things that we can apply to anything in life. Um, and, and when I think about, you know, that term regenerative, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, we can either be in life in, in agriculture or in business or whatever, we can be extractive, which is uh, a typical extractive industry is, um, um, for example, fossil fuels, they extract, but they never return anything. Back. Or we can be sustainable, just maintain where we are, or we can be regenerative. I really think there's three terms you can gauge anything on in life, in uh, business or agriculture, or anything like that. Well, and regenerative really has this like adapt as you go, move, flow with it kind of vibe to it. So tell us, um, how do you, I mean, I'm assuming you don't dress up in a lion suit and chase the crowds around. So, uh, <laughs> or do you? So tell us yeah. how you do this. How do you work it? So what we do, and, and this isn't some evolving technologies coming. It's, um, you know, the fact is it is a little more work. It takes a little more effort. It takes a little more planning to do it. Um, and we do it just through electric fencing, very mobile electric fencing. So I'll section off a certain piece of my land. Um, I'll, I'll put, excuse me, I'll put the animals um, in this sectioned off piece of fence. That has, a, we have solar power chargers that electrify that fence and that keeps them in that spot for a certain amount of time. I'll monitor those grasses every day. And once I can tell that they've been grazed sufficiently, and that they can't be grazed anymore, we'll move them. And so we'll do that same thing. And so on our ranch, we've got um, about 13 different paddocks. And within those paddocks, I cut those in half with an electric fence. So about every four or five days, we're moving them. And it's just the whole thing with that is just trying to give those plants proper recovery time. Have you, uh, how long have you been doing this on the land you're doing it on where you're sectioning it off and moving them around? So, you know, we, we, we did this to some degree my whole life. Um, we weren't really methodical or, or do it, did it with a lot of um, intent. Previously, we just knew we had to do it to maintain proper land health. Um, as we learned more about proper techniques, I would say in the last five years, we've been more intensely managing and because here's the beauty of this, El, is that because we have we have really got it down to a science and we can mimic nature, we were not only able to improve our land health, we were able to improve our herd size. So we basically doubled our herd size over these last five years just because we're more intentional about how we manage it. And I've really got it down to like before I make any decision on our ranch or or any of our partner ranches, you know, you think about, okay, what, what is it we're trying to accomplish? What damage might come of that? What benefit might come of that? So there's this constant dance of, yeah, we know we're going to create a little bit of damage, but is it going to be beneficial at the end of the day? What are some of the things you've noticed? 
oops, sorry. What are some of the things that you've noticed as you've gone through this process? Have you been surprised by anything where you've been like, ooh, about like soil samples or something that's been happening that, you know, you were like, huh, didn't see that coming. Is there any surprises? Yeah, there is. Um, a couple of things that I'm very passionate about are our conservation efforts with, um, uh, we have a certain bird here uh, called uh, Northern Bobwhite Quail. Um, it's a species of bird that's been on a tremendous decline. Um, and through some of these regenerative practices, we've seen uh, those numbers begin to increase. And in fact, when there's almost no bobwhite quail anywhere around us, we have them on our ranch. So that's one thing. Um, another is, you know, another thing that we're passionate about are, are monarch butterflies. So these, these butterflies are uh, uh, very much on decline world uh, nationwide. Uh, they're an incredible species of, of insect that passes through this ranch. And because we practice these methods, we create more of the forbs that bloom that they need for nectar to get on their migration from um, here uh, in North America back to Mexico. So we see tremendous numbers of those monarch butterflies come back over the years. And that's really fun to watch. I mean, you really know you're doing it right when you're seeing these changes in ecosystem. And that, that's that's been one of the, the best benefits that not only can you increase your herd size if you do it properly and you manage properly, but you can get all these one other wonderful outcomes that are important to so many other things that happen um, in, in agriculture. Yeah, it's it's bringing back the connection where that disconnect with all of the factory farms is just yeah ruin just ruining it's, just yeah. yeah I mean you drive on the side of the five freeway in in California and you're like what kind of nuclear waste dump like did a yeah. bomb drop here it's a, just a disaster um, tell us so the cows that you have what are they consuming what what's their what's their diet are they being also fed something else on top of their grazing like what's the protocol that you go through to get them ready to to send to us. <laughs> to yeah, so the, the the cattle that go, the ones that are on your plate or, or, or the ones that anything we send you has only been on grass its whole life. That's it. Um, we also, another thing, and, and, that, and now that doesn't mean uh, occasionally we supplement with certain minerals. So we will, we will do that, but that's the only thing they will, just to keep them healthy. That's the only thing they will ever get before it ends up on your plate. The other thing is uh, we never, anything that ends up on your plate has never been given an antibiotic. So we, we never, and now that's not to say that if an animal gets deathly ill, that we won't treat it properly. I'm just saying if it gets to that point and we do have to treat it, it will not end up in the food chain. So. Yeah. And uh, I want to, I want to highlight that. Oops. Sorry. Sometimes you get feedback. I'll have to have our editor. Okay. So uh, what I like to highlight about that is, it, before I got even into all of this, I remember looking at packages at the store and I would say no antibiotics or whatever. And I'd be like, why, why is that even on there? And so for the people that out there are listening, the reason is, is because when you are not feeding and you're not properly farming these cows and they're not eating their DNA prescripted diet and they're being fed grains, just like with us, when we're not eating our DNA prescripted diet, we get sick. And so they get sick and then they have to give them antibiotics. But if you have pastured animals, I'm sure as you've seen, they have an immune system because they're healthy because they're eating what their DNA <laughs> dictates of them. And right. they don't get sick. They have an immune system where they get a little snuffle or, you know, I've talked to pastured farmers who are like, they really just don't get that sick. And if they do, their immune system kicks in, it, it fights it. And then, like you said, if they do have to really take care of it, it doesn't end up on the plate. So that's why people, when you go to the store and it says that, 
that's why. And that's pretty sketchy, you know? Um, so, and, and, you know, you just see it and what a, what a waste of land. Um, I really curious about this because this pork is unique. I had never heard of this pork that you guys sell called Mangalista pork. Um, I have gotten into the, you sell pork jowl cubes, which yeah. people are, people were like, what the hell? And I'm like, Oh, I'm so all over that. And I, man, mm, so I've made some really great stuff with that. And I'm really looking forward to ex- experimenting more because that was sort of a culinary uh, hump I had to get over on, on what to do there. But tell us about this pork. Um, the bacon's amazing, but it's kind of unique and they look different than other pigs. So give us a little rundown on, on the pork. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the mangalitsa um, pork that we raise here on the ranch is strictly grown in our wooded areas. Um, for now, so they they have uh, what we have here is in a lot of the wooded areas the cattle won't go in there, and uh, what happens is over time it grows up with all these viney things that they, the cattle just literally cannot get through. And the, and what you got to understand is even though we have woodlands here, they weren't they uh, you know before we got kind of screwed up this predator prey relationship there were many browsers that came through whether it was elk and you know, huge herds of deer and other things that help clean those woods out and allow some of those native grasses that can grow under the trees to flourish. And kind of once we broke that cycle, now everything kind of grows up with brush um, and lots of viney stuff. And so I don't have a good way to impact that piece of the land. So what I'm doing is I'm using these hogs, the Mangalitsa, who it, which is a known as a heritage breed of hog. It, it, it evolved from uh, Hungary and it was brought over here to the States. Anyway, it turns out that they create this incredible uh, deep kind of red meat, which is not typical for, for pork, and this beautiful fat on it. Like it's a beautiful. crystal, like just, I mean, like amazing fat on it. Um, and so we, we keep them in these wooded areas. We have lots of pecan, black walnut trees. They graze on a lot of that. They graze on those roots of those viney things and dig those up and then kind of till that soil just slightly and then we'll move them and then what we'll see over time is more of those grasses come back so it creates a little healthier healthier woodland and it's great for the pork i think it's it's great for the product itself um that's the only kind of caveat i would add on on hogs it's almost impossible to do this on their diet and get them to grow alone so we do in this case we do have to supplement with um some grain products which we source from um, I think I mentioned this to you. We we get it from our local breweries who, once they've used the grain to make their beer, we take it from them and feed it to the hogs as well, just as a supplement for protein. Yeah, no, it's absolutely it's absolutely delicious. Uh, what's projected for the future? I mean, you're just going to keep growing your farm. You got land around you can get, or how do you how do you yeah. move forward from here to keep compounding on what you're doing as you grow? So we, we are busy enrolling um, other surrounding ranches near us in our program, which is part of the Savory Institute, which is uh, their, their certification for regeneration is called ecological outcome verification. And all that means is we go in, measure their land health, train them on proper practice on how to manage their animals to improve that land health, and then we catalog it every year. That all goes in a big database and we track their, their, how they're doing over time. Um, and as long as they're increasing their soil health, their biodiversity, their water infiltration, if they're hitting all these scientific parameters that we're measuring, then they stay in the program and then we can source product from them. Uh, at any time they get on the decline for any substantial time, then they would drop out of the program. So we're trying to 
build that network of ranches to improve our supply chain so that we can you know, create the same products we have on our ranch today with other ranchers. That's the only way to really scale this big and make a huge impact is educate everyone, all my fellow ranchers on why this is important, what they can benefit from it. And when we do that, it, it'll create, we want to use rep as an avenue for their products so they can get a fair price for that. Such a great idea. I've been to Oklahoma a couple of times. I have family in Oklahoma and it seems kind of like, I mean, just, it's just endless amounts of like, yeah, there should be cattle roaming everywhere kind yeah. of thing. I mean, right. There's just that there's element. Are there any parts of Oklahoma and its weather that are troublesome to this operation or that you've had to offset with certain things or does it matter? Cause it doesn't, I mean, it gets cold there, but it doesn't get like 20 below zero in Oklahoma. So, but, yep. but anything, anything there that's a, that you've seen like, uh, or is it the perfect environment? It's, uh, you know, here where we're at, we're in the, uh, in Northeast Oklahoma, as I mentioned, this is known as the cross timbers ecoregion. Mm. Um, and it's, it's kind of where the more heavily Eastern part wooded part of the, of the United States transitions to the tall grass prairie. Mm-hmm. And so as you move farther West, the rainfall gets more and more sparse. And what that means for ranchers is that the the less rainfall you get on a yearly basis, the more critical it is that you manage properly. So for me, for example, you know, I can abuse my land a little more and it's going to recover much quicker because I have that extra rainfall. But as you get farther west, which would include the majority of our grazing lands are in low rainfall areas, the more you transition to these lower rainfall, the more precise you have to be in your management of these animals. It just becomes that much more critical. Um, so you, yeah, what do they do about the water? They just sprinkling it out. I mean, I'm again, dummy question here, but so if they're nope. getting less rainfall, what do they do? Well, so these, these grasslands, uh, these tall grassland, these t- tall grass prairie, the short grass prairie, the mid grass prairie, they all evolve for their type of rainfall they get as long as you manage them properly. That's the whole thing. It's got to come down to, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're fine with the rainfall they get. But the thing is you got to maximize each drop. What I mean by that is when it rains, if that soil is bare, it's going to evaporate immediately and you're losing any effect of that rainfall you did get. Now, if you have it covered with, you know, a solid cover of grass and, and, and organic matter, it'll soak up every bit of it and lock it in. And what happens is if you allow your plants to grow a deeper root system, that's the more that water can infiltrate and then feed that plant over time. So that's what I mean by the, the less rainfall you have, the more critical it is your management style. Interesting. How fascinating. Gosh. So, I mean, you've been, you know, you've been in this for, for, for a long while. I mean, uh, give it, give us some uh, highlights of ranch living. <laughs> oh man. You know, my views in the morning, watching a sunrise or in the evening on a sunset are unbelievable. Um, and it's, you know, the great thing here at the ranch, we've got, you know, creeks and streams that run through it. Um, we have extreme biodiversity in plant and animal life. We're kind of in this middle part of the U.S. So we get all our eastern and western species of, of plants and animals and all our northern and southern species. So it's just, but I can't tell you at, at, at all points of the day when you step out, you just hear a cacophony of all these different noises and animals and all this activity going on and it's such a, a relaxing thing to hear all that. Um, it just, boy, it just, it puts your, 
life at ease. Um, and one thing I want to note, though, it's it's uh, we, we that's not everywhere here on every ranch in Oklahoma. That's not the case. And I want to go back to your comment about how you see utter devastation mm-hmm. when when you drive across parts of California. I'm assuming, and, and it's the same thing when you drive across parts of Oklahoma. We have that same thing. Same thing in the breadbasket of the world in, in Kansas. You see that same thing. And what you notice, if you drive on our ranch, and literally you can go across the street, and I mean literally across the street, you will not hear a single insect, a single bird, nothing. You come on my land, you just hear all these beautiful noises and sounds. It's because we create the conditions for proper ecosystem health. That's why you hear it. And that's why it's different. That's why it's important we transition to that. You can only have true resilience in your land if you have the more diversity you have, the more resilience you have. Yeah, what I mean, again, just the as below, above, right? It's all connected. It's not just uh, singularly here. It's affecting so many other things. Like you mentioned about the butterflies and the quail. Are there, uh, and again, just kind of a random, I don't know if this question even makes sense, but is there anything that would be in that ecosystem that might have left that, or that you would want to introduce, you know, is there anything in that ether where you're like, oh, you know what, this could be beneficial, or is it just kind of coming together on its own? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, yeah, there are, there are, I mean, I would love like, you know, they, there's lots of sightings of of big long-tailed cats in this area, um, you know, mountain lions. Um, I've never seen one. Um, I would love to think that we could get back to some uh, a relationship between this proper, you know, proper amount of predators and prey. That's not a reality, probably. I mean, it's something I personally would love to see. Um, but with humans involved, it's probably not a total reality. Uh, but Is there any- I think, yeah. Do you have to protect your animals? I mean, I know here in California, like they've, you know, they've got, we've got mountain lions and stuff. So they have, you know, Anatolian shepherds and things like that, protecting their pasture raised farms or whatever. Is there anything like that you have to worry about? We've, we've not seen any, any impact from predators, basically. Um, we have, well, the only thing we do have in big numbers is our coyotes, but they really don't disturb the livestock. Um, they stick with their you know, we, we create conditions here on the ranch where there's tons of mice and rabbits and other things. And so they forage on those easy things. They would never tackle, you know, a 400-pound hog or a, you know, 1,200-pound cow. So it's really not a concern here. Um, I know in other parts of the country it is, um, but but for here, that's that's not of no risk. Um, my main thing is I want to see all species flourish. I don't know, you know, always how we can do it, but the, the more species we have, the more healthy that ecosystem is. Um, sometimes we've got to live within the confines of what's actually possible and what we can do, but we always need to do our best. Do you have animals on the farm that are controlling mice, things like that? Do you have like cats, like outdoor cats running around doing some work? You know, I know we've got a few in our neighborhood and every time they're in our yard, we're just like, oh, awesome. Because we know, you know, they're, they're killing stuff and, and preventing us from living a hell of some kind, <laughs> eventually uh, being infiltrated. Is, are, what are the other things on your farm that are obviously not being shipped for consumption, but what other, what else you got? Yeah, so uh, there's lots of different species of snakes that live here. Um, there's, there's, um, they keep a lot of the mice and things of that nature, kind of their numbers more uh, balanced. Um, there's, you know, we have possums, raccoons, 
there's just a tremendous amount of diversity here. But, you know, one thing I want to say is that, you know, when, when you create these conditions for all things to thrive, everything kind of balances out. Uh, and, and kind of a little anecdotal evidence. I used, I have a, you know, probably a two acre yard where we keep our house and where we kind of, you know, my kid plays and he has, you know, has his little swings and games and all that. And, and I used to mow this two acres to keep it nice and clean. So we would have this, but as time went by, I started to realize, man, this is so destructive. And so I started creating in my yard, these little pockets of tall grass that I'm restoring and and create little uh pathways that we 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 that he can play on that we can walk through but what i noticed is so much life just came back in that yard and so we experience you know we we embrace all wildlife so if i see a snake whether it's poisonous or not that doesn't scare us we 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 deal with it uh we don't kill anything my goal is to leave no impact um in fact we have this certain variety of of spiders that live around the ranch that collect a lot of the bugs on on a lot of the, the trees or, or around the house. And my, my son loves to feed him crickets. And I think that's great. I, that's, you know, he gets a big joy out of that is creating again, that diversity. And so it's just fun to watch life flourish. That's my main thing. I just love, that's a huge passion of mine. All life flourish. Yeah. We, so much of the U S really needs to get back to that. So much of it's been ruined. Um, I know right now, even in like Hawaii, so much land is being ruined by GMO testing and, you know, pharmaceutical company, you know, it just, it's yeah. chemical companies and it's just a disaster. So what you're doing in your company, I think is just really noble and absolutely in line with everything of the primal blueprint, everything we've always preached, what we write about, what we talk about. Um, and just so, just so important. And honestly, it just tastes better. And I, I and here's the thing, it, sometimes it could be environment. You know, I've had like roamed grass-fed steaks in Hawaii or elsewhere, and they all taste different and unique. And so I'm always a little weary. And so when I received, uh, when I first, you know, got some of your, your stuff, I was so impressed with the ground beef because I do love ground beef and it is kind of a staple in my life. And it's one of the more sort of like inexpensive, you, you know, make some million things out of it type of meat. And gosh, like the fat on that meat tastes so good. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, I really, really love, love the products. Are there any cuts or th- certain things that you'd like to sell in the future that you aren't right now uh, that you're, you know, looking into, or is pretty much what you have on your site kind of going to be the way that it is? I know you're always looking at new innovative ideas, but are there any, you know, other, other types of cuts or things you're not currently offering that you will or plan on? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right now, uh, we, we haven't, um, we were able to move our steaks and fillets, ribeyes, New York, all those things move very quickly. Pork chops, those things move out the door fast. Uh, there's a, that's just a small portion of the animal. So we're trying to, you know, create other, other things that'll move the rest of the products. Um, one of, one of those, uh, that will be coming out soon are, are different roasts. Um, so those are kind of your bigger, those kind of things that you would typically eat in the fall where you throw it in a crock pot let it cook, you know, how, how many ever hours and you have this delicious tender roast when you get home. Uh, that's the thing that'll come out. The other thing is we haven't yet got into the organ meats. I know there's a big demand for certain audiences on organ meats. So we're kind of trying to build that inventory. You don't get as much from that as, as one animal. So we're building that inventory to hope, offer soon. Another thing that we're going to come out with, um, and I'm super excited about this one is I, like you mentioned about the bone broth, I love bone broth. Um, we've got a chicken bone broth that's fixing to come out. So we're excited Ooh. about that. Yeah. 
And the other thing is we're going to start marketing some bone broth boxes, which incorporate the bone broth with our proteins. And we've created, I've worked with a nutritionist here in Tulsa, and she's created these amazing recipes utilizing the bone broth and our proteins to make these wonderful soups and stews that are just out of this world. So we're going to assemble those on a really nice recipe card with the pre-assembled spice pack. We'll ship that to you and then you can make it at your leisure. So with uh, the other ingredients. So that's something I'm really excited about. I love that. And I have used the bone broth as well in a stew like situation with the ground beef. And, and uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like, Soup quality or also just, yeah, man, just one cup of that in an instant pot for, for a meal is incredible. Yeah. So, so we're going to create those in the mountain boxes and let everyone just simply, you know, it's not a, a blue apron type thing at all. Right. It's simply, we're going to supply you the broth, the spices and the proteins, and then you'll buy your vegetables or whatever you want to put in with it. And they, it's, it's, it's there. I've tasted some of her recipes she came up with and they're just, they're phenomenal. How fun. What a, yeah. what a fun job you have. <laughs> yes, it is. I love it. I love it. It's, it's awesome. Um, I should, uh, we should, I should definitely like when you said organ meat, I'm thinking Ashley Van Houten, she just wrote a book called it take guts. It takes guts, the meat eaters guide to eating awful. O F F O A L. And, uh, she, she, yeah, she's really into it. And she, her eyes would perk up if she was like, wait, what organ meat? <laughs> so you got to get that into it. Yeah. It is part of, you know, listen, the carnivore movement is getting big for a reason. It's really healing a lot of people. It's not for everybody, but it can be really beneficial. Um, and eating nose to tail in those environments, while some say they don't need to, you know, I think most of them would say, hey, this is pretty comprehensive and important, um, especially to get these organ meats. Uh, and I I, I'm, I can imagine that becoming more popular. Uh, and again, as we move forward, I think people are like, all right, I think it's, it's almost like a medicinal choice. You're like, even if you have to throw a little bit into a burger and hide it because you don't like yeah, taste. Yeah. You know, no, that's, that's a great way to utilize it is uh, what I do is I take about two thirds hamburger and one third liver, mm-hmm. grind that liver up, mix it. It's incredible. It's great. I mean, it's, it's a great way to get it. If you can't stand the taste of it, you won't notice it in our ground beef if you mix it together. So that, yep. that's one way you can do that. Yeah. Absolutely. What else would you like to share with our audience that you feel we all need to know about regenerative farming? I mean, this is the way supporting companies like yours and buying products from you guys is how we do support this movement. I mean, I look, I remember eight years ago, you could barely find grass fed beef everywhere. Now it's everywhere, right? You know, the paleo movement, Marxists and all of these people kind of led the charge. And now that we see, oh, oh, so-and-so's coming out with grain-free crackers now. Oh, now that's the fifth company, right? Yeah. So it's, it's moving forward. This is, the, this is the right, you are in the right place at the right, at the right time. Um, so I really want to convince everyone out there to support uh, Rep, support these companies that are doing this stuff. This is like a, a two-in-one sh- shot deal. You want to support the environment and eat well. You know, it's like you don't, <laughs> don't forget donating to, you know, Earth, whatever. You you just, you know, th- we're doing it here. What would you like uh, people to know out there that that maybe we haven't covered today that that you find important for us to 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 know? Yeah, there there's one topic that um, I, I that really gets overlooked on regenerative maybe. Um, I know there's some there's some scientific literature out there. There's some other things that kind of show the benefits of regenerative when it in terms of of climate change. And so climate change is one of the big issues of our day. Um, our, our, there's 
just it's without a reason, you know, with no doubt, we're obviously changing the climate of the planet. That's very scary to me. So we're shifting temperatures on the planet to, you know, something that we've not seen before. And that's and that's because mainly because of carbon dioxide. Some of it's due to methane, but mainly due to carbon dioxide. Well, what do plants take in? Carbon dioxide. And so why that's important on regenerative is the more plant you grow, the more it exudes that carbon in the soil. And so basically it's using, it's pulling a lot of CO2 out of the atmosphere, storing it in the form of organic matter in our soil. And there's a lot of literature out there that shows that if you manage, like, like I'm doing here on the ranch, that over every year you can store three and a half tons of carbon in your soil per hectare of land. And that's every year that change. And it really gets to that dynamic, which I talked about how, you know, the animal grazes at the top of the plant, the root structure, uh, root structure dies back and it locks that organic matter in that soil. That's storing that carbon locked away. So that's in the soil. That's storing it in the soil. It's not some way that it, you know, for a tree, typically it's, it's the growth of that tree, which stores carbon. And that's a big topic as well. But on regenerative, that's the amount that can be locked away in the soil itself. I think this is, and, and if you look at the numbers, there's a, a, um, a huge potential here to pull all the excess carbon that we've created over the industrial revolution and put it back in our soil. And just a quick, um, a quick uh, kind of example of that is, I don't know, there's a, a, a company called Indigo Ag who's trying to you know, promote farmers to change these certain, certain methods, quit plowing, start putting um, carbon back in the soil. And uh, their calculation, it's called the Terraton Project. And basically what they're saying is, if then that Terraton is the amount of CO2 carbon in the atmosphere that we created to fossil fuels. Now, if you look at that uh, to soil health and you look at the uh, monoculture crops that we grow, there's a reduction in organic matter from about 3% to 1% on average worldwide, if you look at that. And if you look at that 2% loss of organic matter, if we just replace that, that's a teraton of CO2 back, uh, of carbon in that soil. And so in theory, it would be quite easy if we start shifting agriculture to more regenerative methods that we could literally pull all the CO2 out of the atmosphere, store it in the soil as carbon. So, so many huge benefits to shift to regenerative agriculture from our health to our planet's health, to climate change, to biodiversity loss, to water infiltration and re, you know, regenerating our aquifers. There's just a million things to do this. There's no reason not to do it. In fact, I think you know, just for the survival of our species for a long time, it's gonna be absolutely necessary. So well said, so true. Uh, I am so grateful for your company, what you're doing, and I love your products. And uh, I, I just recommend everybody go online to repprovisions.com. Uh, we'll put everything to connect with Eric and the company in the show notes. And again, thank you for what you're doing, your passion for it. Uh, it's just, it's so necessary. It's just, you know, and again, talking about those feedlots on the side of, you know, this massive, it just seems like what a waste, right? What a waste. Like if they knew the levels of the contribution and, 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 and it's better meat anyway. So it just makes no sense yeah. to me. Um, like in the short term, I guess it makes financial sense to them, but in the long term, doesn't, you know, you got antibiotics going, you got all this grain, you got, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a big pain in the butt if you think about it. I mean, it seems like what they think might make it easier in the beginning makes it harder later on. Right. 
It does. And it's, it's one of those terms extractive. It's an extractive industry. It's extractive on so many levels, including our health. And I think this, you know, and, and the way to change is through the consumer. I mean, if the consumer demands this from companies, they will shift like that, you know, and the only way to, to do this is educate the consumer through things like you and Tara are doing. And I think you're right. Once they try it and taste it, then everything makes sense. Yeah, it will make sense. I just challenge anyone, go get some rep provisions, ground beef or bone broth or anything and try it and you will, you will be, you'll be changed then for forever. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate all that you're doing and uh, look forward to, you know, seeing what you're going to do in the future and have you back on to talk about some more exciting yes. stuff. That comes up. I, I can't wait, El. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to your audience about the benefits of regenerative and, and, and support those companies like Ref that are trying to do the right thing. So amazing. Thanks so much. And everyone else, we'll see you next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered because our no dairy vodka sauce is made with avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the Primal Path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.